We're in a golden age for technology. Silicon Valley is changing the way we live for better and worse. And the stocks of these companies are having a banner year and an even better decade. The irony is that many tech pioneers, the ones that arguably created Silicon Valley, have been left behind. I'm Alex Yule. This week on The Readback, I'm joined by Eric Savitz, who covers tech for Barron's and just wrote a cover story on whether old tech can find new life. Hey, Eric. Hey, Alex. How are you? Why are we talking about old tech all of a sudden again? Well, the impetus for this really was the recent news that Xerox, one of the oldest of the technology pioneers, has made an offer to acquire HP Inc., which is the half of the old Hewlett-Packard company that makes printers and computers, a much larger company than Xerox. And it got us thinking about what is happening with all of the rest of these old, storied technology brands that are basically no longer showing growth at the top line. They have very large businesses. They've played a huge role in the history of Silicon Valley and are now fundamentally challenged. So let's start with HP and Xerox. You're going to take one struggling printer company and put it together with one struggling copier and printer company, and suddenly they're going to be a great company again? Well, that is the Xerox theory. Xerox is a company that is a household name that now has a fairly small business. They're doing under $10 million a year in revenue. They primarily make copiers for large businesses, and they are shrinking at the top line. Uh, And they're... View is that if they combine their business with HP, which makes printers primarily for desktops. Inkjets, laser printers. Exactly. That if you put the two printer businesses together, you'd get one better printer business and one plus one would equal something more than two. So we've had a lot of discussion about this. It seems kind of desperate on the part of Xerox to be going after HP at this point. HP, it's worth pointing out, has so far said no, right? Yes. HP's position on this is that the Xerox offer is too low and that Xerox, being a much smaller company than HP, this is a minnow trying to swallow a whale situation, that it would have to take on tremendous amounts of debt, $32 billion, in order to do that transaction. Whether it will play out at all remains to be seen for multiple reasons. Okay. So let's step back for a second. I mean, these are probably two of the most storied names in technology, even if maybe we haven't thought about them in a few years. How did we get to the point where, you know, that that they're in such terrible shape? Well, so these are two companies that have been around a very long time. Debbie, will you please go make a copy of this? Okay, Daddy. That's my secretary. In Xerox's case, more than 100 years, they started life making photographic papers and then evolved into being a printer business. You've just seen the Xerox 914 copier. It makes your first copy in less than a minute. There was a point, say, in the 1970s, where the Xerox Palo Alto Research Center, Xerox Park, was almost like Bell Labs. The center of innovation. The center of innovation. Push a button, and the words and images you see on the screen appear on paper. Push another button, and the information is sent electronically to similar units around the corner or around the world. This is an experimental office system. It's in use now at the Xerox Research Center in Palo Alto, California. Soon, Xerox systems like this will help you manage your most precious resource, information. Uh, Lots of technology came out of Xerox. 
Computer mice, graphic user interfaces, Ethernet networking. Laser printers. Laser printers. Yeah. They didn't actually execute on it, much of it very well. Uh, you know who did, though, was Apple. Steve Jobs famously visited Xerox Park and got a lot of ideas that turned into the Macintosh. In HP's case, the legacy HP was born in uh, 1939 when David Packard and William Hewlett teamed up, had a little company. They were making a oscillator for Walt Disney. And that's just part of, part of the range. Uh, so we thought a great deal about this and finally decided we'd go ahead and try and build these units. Basically for some special showings of Fantasia. That tells you how long ago that <laughs> was. So there's a garage in Palo Alto where... William Hewlett and Dave Packard started HP and also really started this whole culture of technology businesses starting in garages is on the National Register of Historic Places. And so they started in this kind of test and measurement business. They evolved into a an important player in the computer business. They became one of the leaders in the printer business. And of course, both of them make very, I mean, to put it bluntly, heavy products. These things like weigh a lot. They're, they're physical. They take up space in a room. There's something that's happening that I think we've all heard about that's really making that stuff less relevant. Ah, yes, something called the cloud. So what's happened in computing is we've gone to a world of stuff to a world of bits. Old school enterprise technology, you would go out and you would buy servers and networking equipment and you would buy packaged software. You would buy a lot of stuff. You would put it in a room with guys in white coats, and they would run your data center. And we're now in a world where the cloud, what that really amounts to is centralized data centers run by very large companies, the ones that get the most attention, and which are the largest, are Amazon Web Services, Microsoft Azure, and Google Cloud. These are very large businesses. They've gone from kind of a fun side business to Amazon to probably its most important business, arguably worth more than the, the core of Amazon's uh, retailing business. And they are running IT and uh, operations for thousands of businesses around the world. And more and more, they are coming to be the next generation of enterprise uh, technology players, replacing a lot of the functions that have been done in, uh, historically by all of these legacy players. So as bad as things seem for a lot of these legacy tech players, and they do seem pretty pretty bad right now. I mean, their stocks are trading at these very low multiples of earnings and of sales. I think the one thing that probably gives investors some hope and that probably gives some of the executives hope is Microsoft. Because Microsoft was once upon a time, not that long ago, in the same position, a shrinking business. And they've stunningly turned the business around and are now worth more than a trillion dollars. Well, Microsoft has had an amazing turnaround. It dates back really four years ago when Satya Nadella took over from Steve Ballmer as the CEO of the company. Satya's background was that he ran Microsoft's cloud business. And he made a big bet that Microsoft's cloud business was, in effect, Microsoft's entire business. Yeah. That the cloud was where the future is. And it has worked out spectacularly well, both for Microsoft and for Satya. The stock has gone up three or four times since he took over. It's now neck and neck with Apple as the most valuable 
valuable company in the world in the public markets. And it's been remarkable to watch them transition their business. And they've been able to do it in a couple of different ways. So Azure, which is the name for their cloud business, has been wildly successful. They've also taken other core businesses. So if you think about their office suite, which mm-hmm. includes you know Word and PowerPoint and all the other applications that you use in the office on day-to-day business, and they've made them a service in the cloud. And that is the role model for all of these companies. There is proof that there is life on the other side of the cloud where you can go from an old-school tech environment to a new one. And there is a reason that the stock is trading at the levels that it is. Now, you point out in your story and you talk to some folks who say that what Microsoft has done has been remarkable, but it's also a rare case. So who can pull a Microsoft? Well, that's the uh, $64,000 question. A lot more than that. It's the $64 billion Billion question question, or a trillion dollar question. I think that the company that's best positioned here is IBM. And I think that for a couple of different reasons. One is IBM's been through these kinds of transitions on multiple occasions before. They survived the transition from mainframes to mini computers, from mini computers to PCs, from PCs to mobile phones and the internet. They've gotten through these transitions, sometimes with some challenges along the way. They have had some near-death experiences. However, they've also been willing to make aggressive change in their business. They led the market in laptop computers and sold that business. They were a leader in microprocessors and in disk drives, things that they no longer make. They've been willing to change their business. They more recently have been focusing on services to their enterprise technology clients. They're also still synonymous with enterprise computing. And I think people who buy services for enterprise computing still really respect and appreciate IBM. IBM is making a big bet that it can compete directly with Amazon Web Services and with Microsoft Azure in the cloud. And that does include their recent acquisition of Red Hat, which is an open source software company that plays an important role in the infrastructure in a cloud world. And uh, they have the time and resources to get it done, I think. All right. And you think there's anyone else other than IBM that could pull off kind of this Microsoft-style transformation? Well, I'm I'm still optimistic about Cisco systems. Um, Cisco, of course, is the largest player in networking hardware. They make routers and switches and all the other stuff over which uh, data travels around the network. They are not growing lately and, in fact, in the current quarter have said that they're actually going to show declining revenue. But they still dominate that market. And in a world that is cloud-centric, you still need to have data travel around from one place to another. You need to connect point A to point B. Yes. And there's a lot of points, right? So as particularly as we add faster networking technology like 5G, which a lot of people are talking about 5G wireless networking, that implies a much larger number of endpoints on the network. And somehow or another, all these devices and sensors and gadgets at the end of the network need to talk back to the cloud in the middle where everything is being processed and collected. That requires networking hardware. One of the themes that really ran through your cover story was this idea that investors just don't want to own or pay up for hardware companies anymore. Are we headed to a productless future? <laughs> no, there's no world in which everything is just uh, you know floating around in the cloud. But what we are seeing is those companies change their business models. A good example is our, our friends at HP Inc., which have actually proposed uh, changing the way they sell printers and PCs to selling them as a service. Huh. So they're actually sending me ink as I... As you need it. 
their friends at HP Enterprise, their corporate cousins, have vowed to turn everything they do into a service by 2022. So I think it's not that hardware goes away, but the way that you pay for it might go away or change, basically. And every hardware company is trying to figure out how to make that transition. And so it goes from a transactional model to one where you're just always in the lives of your customers. Yes, and also paying only for what you need and not for what you don't need, right? So the risk is if you buy hardware, you can buy too much or not enough. But if you buy computing sort of by the ounce, you buy it, and if you need less, you can cut back and pay for less. It's a more efficient way to buy services and, in the end, to buy hardware. So what's really the blueprint by which a company can find out how to remake itself as a services company or how to offer something that's going to resonate with today's marketplace? Well, I think you really have two choices. You can innovate your model, or you can try and modify your business through financial engineering, which might involve acquisitions or splitting your company in two or selling a bunch of stuff off or laying off thousands of employees. There are lots of options. Or Xerox trying to buy HP. Or Xerox trying to buy a much larger company than HP. History would suggest that the route to success has more to do with innovation than financial engineering. Now, this is not to say that every deal is a bad one, but if you're doing deals specifically to try and address slowing growth in the environment in which you're operating, that is a really tough path to achieve success. I think we see in Microsoft's case that you're a lot better off if you can innovate your way to change rather than to shop your way to change. All right. Thanks so much, Eric. Thank you. To read Eric's story on the future of old tech, check out this week's Barron's, or as always, Barron's.com. I'm Alex Yule. The show is produced by Meta Lutzhaft. The Readback will return next Wednesday. 